0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce
1: McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. Looks to me like you're somewhere else today with me rather yes. than here. I'm in Destinations Unknown in British
0: Columbia. Actually, Vernon. Beautiful. Yeah, Vernon.
1: That's nice. Yeah, it's... All the hockey scribes are taken off for the summer. You're gone for the duration, then?
0: No, I'm back next week. <laughs> back in Alberta tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Just taking my daughter out. She's going to work in Vancouver for the summer, so um, dropping her off there, coming home now. Right on. Yeah, Bruce. Um, not a lot going on with the Oilers, but um, we're finding stuff to write about that uh, catches our interest, and we're going to go through some of the things um, that have, have done so. We'll look at and, and things we're going to write about upcoming. We'll look at um, Stu Skinner and an interesting fact about Stu Skinner, which might surprise some people in, in that he, when it comes to, um, if there was a best on best tournament right now between uh, the nations of the world, Stu Skinner would be in the running to be on Team Canada as a goalie. Um, there's just no doubt about it, he'd be in that debate. And we'll talk about why that is. Um, We will talk about um, the owners' interesting first and second half splits uh, in recent years. And um, we'll dig into that. We'll dig into their, um, they've been ranked. The owners' prospect pool was ranked by a Calgary uh, prospect service. We'll talk about that. Um, We'll talk about Jay Woodcroft's popularity uh, on the Edmonton owners. And we will talk about uh, the Core 12. And how stable that is right now in the orders. and fine, and we will also talk about the bouchard and mcleod contracts and since that's top of mind for most fans let's just get to that right off the top bruce um the only bouchard and mcleod are obviously two key players they're both in the core 12 for the orders. the core 12 on a team is the top um, forwards on the top two lines plus the third line center generally speaking the top four defensemen and the top goalie and in the salary cap era, these players are absolutely critical because uh, to winning a Stanley Cup. You, if you don't have a strong core 12, you're just not going to win the Stanley Cup.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, both McLeod as the third-line centre and Bouchard as um, second-pairing D or even first-pairing D, they're core 12 for sure. Yes. The only thing I'd say about... I don't have a lot to say, but I just, I'll make my one quick point before you... Because you just wrote a post about this so you can get into it in detail.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that... Um, Bouchard may get a little bit more than Euler fans think Mm -hmm. and and hope that he will get. I think it's going to start, the rumours that I'm hearing, you know, Stauffer and Rashog both have said, I think, something with starting with a four. And I think Kurt may have also, Kurt Levins of the Cult of Mm -hmm. Hockey, if I'm not mistaken, also might have said something similar. I can't recall exactly what Kurt's rumour was. I looked that up. But I think um, the key is, that amount of money, the reason you're paying that is on a two-year deal. Mm-hmm. You really want to sign Evan Bouchard on yeah. a two-year deal. You really want to sign him, and I don't know why mm-hmm. he would actually necessarily sign a two-year deal. But if, if 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 the overall cap hit for the two years is higher than people expect, it's because you're paying for mm-hmm. that second year. Oh yeah. And and the reason is Bouchard could. It's not it's not crazy talk. Mm -hmm. You can think of Evan Bouchard averaging a point a a game this year on that power play. He could get a point a game this season. I don't think that would be surprising at all, given how strong an offensive player he is and how uh, superb that power play is and is going to be this coming year. So you you don't want to pay for a defenseman who's got a point a game um, after this season because that's that's a lot more money. So um, the, the yeah. question for me would be, why would Bouchard sign a two-year deal?
1: Well, because uh, the second year is more than the first, because uh, it's guaranteed money. Uh, you know, what happens if he signs a one-year deal and he comes out and he plays like he did for the first 40 games of last season? Yeah. You know, that doesn't necessarily make his case. Uh, how it's generally done these days is that when you do get a multi-year um, bridge deal, that you set the uh, standard for the qualifying offer that must come at the end of it, with the amount that's on the second year's salary. So you can sign a <clears throat> you can sign a uh, contract mm-hmm. that's uh, 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 four four million in the first year and six million in the second year, and even though the AAV would be five million, that would actually be a six million dollar qualifying offer. Now I'm not saying those are the figures; with I'm just using round numbers so that's easy anyway the the forty sixty that i just used is actually the limit they can't say one million in the first year and nine million in the second year the second year's salary can be 50 percent more than the first but no more because i wanted to keep that uh those qualifying offers under control there's a few ridiculous ones like uh, i think alex de brinkat that wound up with a nine million dollar qualifying offer off a six million dollar aav or something and so they they uh Fiddled with that a little bit with the last CBA. Uh, and uh, so this is how it's worked with uh, two very good, I, I find them extremely good comparables. Uh, I wrote about these guys in a little bit of depth last night. I didn't really take a deep dive because uh, I wasn't writing a thesis, just a post. Uh, but uh, Bowen Byram of Colorado Avalanche who just finished his entry level contract and he finished it a year early because they promoted him to the NHL when he was 19, former fourth overall draft pick. And Kay Andre Miller of uh, New York Rangers, who uh, was picked uh, a little later than Bouchard in the same uh, first round of the 2018 draft. And Miller, uh, he was two years out of the NHL and he broke in basically in uh, 2020 and he just became a regular right away, and he averaged 20 minutes a night for all three of his seasons. So I think Keandre Miller is, a, you know, the artist can make a case that uh, Bouchard hasn't quite reached that level yet. And Keandre Miller uh, signed a two-year deal with an average of 3872000 million. We're really getting down to the significant digits now in some of these contracts. Three, Almost 3.1 in the first year, and over 4.6 in the second year. And you know what? The same, almost the same thing happened with Bowen Byram. 3.08 the first million, 4.62, the second average is 3.85. So I think those, I mean, they're like almost the exact same amount, 3.85 to 3.87. And they both played 22 minutes a night, Dave. And Evan Bouchard played 18 minutes and 31 seconds. So... If I'm the team, I'm playing that one pretty hard because, you know, ice time is one of the key drivers. Points as a driver. Well, Candry Miller had more points than, uh, than Evan Bouchard. And uh, Bowen Byram had more points per game than Evan Bouchard. They both had more goals than Evan Bouchard. So, you know, and Bouchard, you know, he's a nice player and he's going to get a nice contract. I'm just saying, I think this kind of sets an upper bar. And I don't see any particular reason that the Oilers would need to, you know, I, I just don't see what the compelling case would be from his camp to say he's outperformed those guys.
0: Well, in this year's playoffs, Bruce, Evan Bouchard, um, what was his points per game? Let me just have a look Yeah, He had here.
1: 17 points in 12 games, so would that be 1.42?
0: Well, there's one argument. Mm-hmm. And, and if you extrapolate his, uh, from the time he took over on the power play, Mm-hmm. Um, to, including the playoffs. He's a point-of-game player.
1: 36 points in 33 games from the day of the Ekholm trade, and that's all good. Uh, to me, though, the platform season is just that. It's a season. You don't just say, well, this part of it was so good that we're going to assume he's going to be that player for the rest of his life and pay him accordingly. His whole season has to be considered, and uh, he was – uh, he was well, well, down, and then he came back pretty good with Broberg on the third pairing. And then when Eckholm came and Barry went away, it was lights out the rest of the way. So he's made a case for himself, but it's not like a full, strong 82 game. I'm here, and I'm top four, and, you know, he's still working on that. So pay him, but don't go crazy.
0: I agree. Uh, I think, like, you're you know, you answered the question of why um so you're what you predict in your post today is he, that he'll average uh, 3.75 million dollars
1: yeah, predicted a a but that's a, that's okay. a ballpark sure it's a ballpark
0: but. that's your ballpark so you're and 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 uh, i hope you're right um mm-hmm. i just think if you're bouchard's camp you might if if they say if that's the owner's bargaining position and it's three million for the first year you might say okay um we'll take three million for the year and uh go from there just take a one-year deal at three
1: well that's that's the other uh way they can play is it so we'll take the it would first be a little of
0: those higher than years. three probably if it was um a one-year deal probably about 3.2 3.3 maybe something like that just on a one-year deal um
1: I'd offer them the same, well, I, I'm not the GM and I'm not a negotiator, but I'm thinking a fair starting point would be to say, we'll offer you this on a one-year deal, or this will be the exact same money, but it'll be the 40-60 component of a two-year deal, so we'll give you a 50% raise in the second year if you take it. Sure.
0: I'm not a GM or a negotiator either. I, mm. <laughs> what I don't know about negotiation is almost everything. So, um, yeah.
1: Well, I come I, from I, a union I, family, David, so I've heard you a, heard heard a thing or two over the all years. All right.
0: All right. All right. Here I am dealing with Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> <laughs> we found you, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Bruce, um, Ryan McLeod. Mm. let's hear your uh case what do you think he's gonna get
1: yeah well he's i'm hearing like three years two million i think stauffer was probably uh floating that and and probably getting it from somewhere i mean three years would be nice at a nice controllable cost uh he did have um uh, I think a positive year. I think he's had a positive year every few years since he's been drafted. I think he's been a growing growth player for Oilers, and he's keep, he's going to keep growing for a while. Uh, but again, don't go crazy. I mean, uh, this is a guy who, you know, his statistics last year, which is what an arbitration case will be based on, will be his statistics, his points, his ice time, first and second most important things. And they look at some of the ancillary stats, like, you know, hits and, and takeaways and stuff, but they, I understand they don't put a whole lot of stock in it, and uh, Hart Levine of uh, Puckpedia, he was on Stoffer's show, I guess, yesterday, I heard it today, uh, after I'd written my my post, but he was saying uh, that, um, uh, for, you know, McLeod, I mean, he only played 55, 57 games, and... You know, his stats weren't that great. He, you know, he's good. He's coming on. But what do you give him in the meantime? Like, these are the years. The RFA years are the years that are, are the value ones for the club.
0: And, you know, he, there's talk like that he was really good in the playoffs and he should have played against Eichel. I, I'm going to suggest that on that line, the success of that line had the least amount to do with Ryan McLeod in the playoffs. And the most amount to do with Derek Ryan and Warren Fogle, who uh, played just superb defensive hockey, really smart hockey uh, and, um, you know, air near air free hockey. And and McLeod in our own system, we tracked him making a number of errors and was far more erratic than either of those two players. So I think he was good in the playoffs, but he wasn't the driver of the success of that line, the, the defensive success of that line or the um, shot shares on that line. I think it's Ryan and Fogel. So I, here's what I would, my own thought about um, McLeod is again term. I'd like to see term
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the more term the better. And the reason I think that is the Oilers need him to develop into uh, a, a s- truly successful third line center, which he's mm-hmm. yet to be, I'm gonna argue. He mm-hmm. wasn't out in the playoffs. He was He was good, he was okay. But um, they need, and they need. So if he's constantly fighting for contracts, he's constantly fighting for points, scoring more points, scoring mm-hmm. more points. Because nice. that's what you get paid in the NHL. If they can yeah. sign him to a three year deal, he'll have two years where he doesn't have to worry about points. Mm-hmm. All he has to worry about is Edmonton's need at third line to, to have a center who can play against tough competition and get the job done. And just that's his total focus. And if he gets 20 to 30 points at even strength, that's a bon- that's bonus. But it doesn't have to be his focus. Like he doesn't have to like he's, he's for, I got to get 40 points. I got to get 40 points because that's my pay. That's how I'll finally get paid in this league. Mm-hmm. I the, the the more distant that thought is from his head in the next few years, the better. So I want to see at least two years, and hopefully three would be great. Now I don't know if they can afford that, but. It, it may well be, Bruce, they may be heading towards paying a bit more for Bouchard and McLeod to get them longer term and going with a very 21. tight roster. Well, whatever it takes, 21-man yeah. roster. That seems to be oh. not their preference. No.
1: But
0: it that sounds like it's be. what it's going to be, I think mm-hmm. it's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Um, well, well, Hart Levine, he was saying that uh, uh, the orders have enough money uh for a 22nd guy, if they can sign both Bouchard and McLeod for 5.6, which is not sort of completely out of range, but it's, you know, if they, I mean, if they did, say, get Bouchard at 3.75, like I uh, yeah. like I suggested, like you could have platform. 1.8 for McLeod, and then you'd have just enough room to sign a 22nd a guy at the, you know, at the low end of the pay spectrum. Um uh, and have a, 20, have a twenty have a twenty two man roster, and yeah, it's.
0: You know, I, I mean, I if they don't, if they go with a smaller roster, then they actually could, I think, sign another player. I could sign
1: a more expensive guy to be more the twenty first guy, guy as you opposed know, to that, two minimum guys to that's be twenty, right. 20 so two.
0: Bad news for Raphael Lavoie, like anyone making minimum, mm-hmm. that's not good news. But that's that could be. I and I, Bruce, I I, I would. I would say 90%. Mm -hmm. That's what the direction it's going to go. What do you say?
1: Well, uh, they've got, um, the one thing is if they don't spend the cap, it actually works in their favor in that they're they're starting to um, accrue cap towards both the trade deadline and perhaps even towards the end of the season where if they don't spend it all, then the first part of Connor Brown's bonus gets paid out of whatever's left. So if they don't spend, you know, if they come with three million short of the cap this year, which they won't. But I mean, imagine if they did, uh, they could basically pay off Brown's bonus this year. I mean, that's the flexibility. It's only the overage that carries over to next year. So. Cool.
0: Well, yeah, that that would be a that would be good. And they could. Um, yeah. So I, I just see them doing that. I see them mm-hmm. going with a smaller roster. I, so I know the Holland doesn't want to. And he said he wasn't going to. Mm-hmm. But I think things also change, and when you you know mm-hmm. you have these players who are pushing hard, agents pushing hard for more money, it's mm-hmm. the temptation is just get them signed another year longer, put off the headache of the next contract one more year down the road. There's benefits mm-hmm. for the team and having them focus on team-oriented goals in the short term. These two young players, as opposed to uh, individual goals, which have to come pop into your head more when you're in a contract year. So I like I would like them to on one more year. Um, each like McLeod at three and Bouchard at two, that'd work. And if they if they pay a McLeod a little bit more to get him on three, that would that works for me.
1: Well, we're going to assume he keeps going. I mean, this year, 50 he had 11 goals, 12 assists, plus four in, in 57 games. I mean, 20 of the points were at even strength. Like he was, uh, 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 you know, he was an he he did play a bit on both special teams, but didn't score a lot there. And that second power play unit, of course, basically never scored. Uh, so he's, uh, I mean, as a defensive player, I mean, maybe he's a guy that you give the, uh, uh, you offer him two years, uh, or sorry, six years at two million. See if he takes that like like Kelly Yarncroft got from Nashville a few years ago. Give him the Scott Mayfield offer. You want to play here? Here you go low do- relatively low dollars long term security
0: but it would have to be more than 2 million wouldn't it it would have to be like 2.5 or
1: i don't know Kelly Yarncrock signed 6 for 2 million that's my approval really? yeah. all right
0: all right yeah. well <laughs> i like the i like that idea bruce all right let's move on and we'll talk um next on the agenda is um last week uh, Calgary um, uh, prospect analyst Byron Bader of Hockey Prospecting came out with his list of ranking NHL farm systems and he's someone who uses a kind of an advanced NHLE equivalencies NHL NHL equivalencies thing to basically where you take the scoring stats of a junior player and then by various formulas you figure out how many points he's going to score in the NHL And that's his main method, I think, of of rating players, but it's it's a it's a I think he doesn't give away the what the formula is, but it's fairly sophisticated. Anyway, uh yeah, he has the oilers 28th out of 32 teams in terms of the their prospect pool. And his top let me see, did I list his top what his top (laughs) prospects were? Um I don't know if I did list this. Okay. Yeah, I did. Oh, no. I have Scott Wheeler's top prospects. Anyway, Bruce, this is um, not that big a surprise. The Oilers, I mean, two years ago, he had the Oilers 12th, but he that Bouchard was still a prospect then, and Philip Broberg mm-hmm. was still a prospect then, and um, Ryan McLeod was still a prospect then, and he was really high on Ilya Konovalov, as were a lot yes. of people, yes. and um, some of them have worked out and some of them haven't. Mm-hmm. generally speaking when we looked at uh, like what scott wheeler and corey pronman are rating the oilers um and where the, the Oilers seem to be ranked right now somewhere between about i don't know 20 24 25 and um 28, 28. that's the lowest that they've been and that's what mm-hmm. caught my eye was just how low that was and one of the things that that hit them this time was there was no first round draft pick this year. Traded for Matthias Eckholm to boost the level of the prospects. And they traded Reed Schaefer, who um, not everyone was in love with that draft pick. But the, the word, well, what we saw was Nashville was enough in love with that, that draft pick to make it a main piece, a main part of the Oilers' acquisition of Matthias Eckholm. That and the uh, Oilers' first round draft pick this year. And what the Oilers got was a very good defenseman for four playoff series um, out of that Eckholm trade. So um, there's a lot of value, I think, attached by Nashville to the Schaefer pick. And losing him um, has hurt the prospect pool. Bruce, what do you make of the Oilers having such a low um, level of um, prospects in the eyes of most of the people who are now evaluating uh, young
1: players? Well, first I'll say that um, uh, Reed Schaefer is filling the spot on the Nashville roster, at least in the longer term that Tanner Janot had captured for himself of being a tough, um, uh, you know, depth winger who could score some and, and uh, you know, play. And uh, uh, when they traded Janot for a player plus five draft picks, like uh, they, they did create a hole in their roster and they, I think they that's one of the reasons I targeted Reed Schaefer right there was they wanted to uh, fill that spot so <clears throat> uh, but it is a cost to do in business David I mean here I mean what bugs me is that when I read sometimes uh, on the internet and same people that say the Oilers should be going for it are complaining because their prospect pool is low. And, <laughs> I mean, they traded two firsts for for, uh, Ekholm. They traded a second for Kulak. The year before that, they traded a second for Kulakov. They traded uh, a third uh, for Keith. And I know people are mad about that trade still. Uh, But they've been giving up picks uh, left, right, and center. I mean, I, I've written the last time the owners had seven picks in the same draft was 2017, and that's part of the reasons that people are always want them to go for it at it the deadline, you know, get there. And I just like, I mean, the GM wants to go for it because he thinks he's close. And this year, Holland did a few things to get close, but he traded a third for uh, um, <clears throat> for uh, Bukestad, and he traded <clears throat> he traded uh, a prospect with that third for Bukestad, so that guy's gone, and before you know it, you know, the system has lost uh, both prospects and picks to make future prospects in these trades, and you're down a couple of courts. I mean, if if you've gone five, six, seven years in a row, where you're drafting five times and everybody else is seven or eight, uh, you're going to lose ground that way, unless you are absolutely fantastic drafters. and. The cost of going for it and the other cost of going for it is the higher you get in the standings, the lower in the draft you choose. So it's been ages. I mean, the last top 10 pick the Oilers had in the draft was Philip Roberg in 2019, Holland's first year. Well, that was in the uh, uh, in the 2010s. I think he was the ninth top 10 pick the Oilers had. had it was only the yamamoto year they picked outside of the top 10 and since 2020 no picks in the top 10 since 2021 no picks in the top 20 and it's when you're saying 23 and under where <clears throat> where are all these hot shot prospects supposed to come from when you're trading the picks that they could have been for immediate help
0: i found a uh- Bader's list of the top five uh, Oilers picks right now And I was incorrect, he does include both Philip Broberg and Dylan Holloway In his list
1: okay.
0: uh, He considers nice them still to be prospect category So yep. his prospects are um, um, Carter Savoy Philip Broberg, Raphael Lavoie Dylan Holloway And Xavier Bergo, that's his top five
1: Carter Savoy first, eh?
0: I think he does have him listed first, if I'm not mistaken. He's high on Carter Savoy. Well, his NHLE might not be be bad, but I think based on his (laughs) AHL play last year, (laughs) he didn't exactly rip it up
1: in the AHL. No, he he kept getting hurt, David. He didn't really have a... So, So Bruce, what would you... You were at uh, DevCamp.
0: You you just got um, the Oilers Development Camp for drafted Mm -hmm. players. You Mm -hmm. saw the Aki Breakey prospect and others. Mm -hmm. So uh, who, what stood out for you? Which players stood out as being uh, (sighs) eye-catching talent?
1: Well, the guys like Aki and uh, Breakey also, and also um, Borgo, let's hope he's not Breakey. They... The high draft picks, they stand out for their, for their skill, and they always do. You can sort of watch for 10 minutes and say, well, that guy is probably a high pick. And, you know, he might be Jason senior. That's never going to turn out as a player because there's other things that he's lacking. But you can see the talent oozing off the guy just like we could with Jason Bonsignor. And Nail I'm Yakupov. Not, Nail yeah, I'm Yakupov. not saying that. Well, I'm not saying they have anybody Remember, quite. A, a
0: Dev cap Roost? Nail Yakupov. Oh, I sure do. Awesome. yeah
1: would he ever I shoot the puck so. oh man was he firing the puck anyway um uh they uh the guys that impressed me were were mostly lower picks I you know Aki, his skating was good you could tell he was 18 years old and kind of a little bit in over his head i think first camp and uh, nothing wrong with that. i mean he's 170 pounds too right so some of these fellows that were out there were like 24 years old and stuff and, and so uh that's fairly common for, you know, for your top 10 draft pick, you'll probably shine at your first camp. And otherwise, usually the first one's a bit of a learning experience. But the guys that were back at their second or third camp, and I'm talking about uh, uh, the D-man, uh, Max Wanner, uh, who has come a long way and uh, since last time I saw him. And, I mean, his skating, David, looks strong. And, and yeah. his, his ability… Before. His ability to command the puck while he's skating looks strong. Like you know, he's uh, he's you know transitioning with his skating from uh, uh, you know backwards to lateral to forward, and he's got the puck the whole time, and he's controlling it, and he's looking up and not having to you know see where the puck's going. He's you know, and just some of those sort of mannerisms say that looks like a you know real pro defenseman, and then you think, well, he's 19 years old yet. And uh, just about to turn pro, and that's a pretty promising player for a, you know a seventh round draft pick, taken what 212 overall or something in the over 200 uh, club, and uh, uh, he had um, uh, I guess that was during the COVID year. Uh, That's right. He
0: only played 17 games that yeah, year, when he was drafted yeah. four point four so, points. It was a weird year, yeah. and looks like the orders got us what like a second round talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, uh, maybe better than that um, with with a, with a seventh round pick. I mean, he, yeah, he he seems like he's big. He can skate. He can move the puck, and he's mean. He can shoot, what else, and he can what pass. Else do you, want? And, you know, he's yeah. got
1: he's got a lot of the elements, you know, I mean, honestly, he's, uh, uh, I don't want to say quite he reminds me of a young Steve Smith, but he's kind of trend, trending in that direction, that was a sixth round draft choice in 1981, that took go. a while, and boy, uh, well, I was going to say, did he have an impact, and people are immediately going to jump to the wrong conclusion, <laughs> Steve Smith, poor was an Steve out- Smith, poor Steve he Smith. He was an outstanding player, was and an he
0: outstanding.
1: He helped defense. Edmonton win three Stanley Cups, and he Diddy was Edmonton. a he was a strong player for those teams. Anyway, uh, uh, so I mean, I didn't see the toughness, but it wasn't a situation for toughness, except for in Toronto, where some scrub tried to kill their top prospect with an open ice hit. You don't want to see that. So, yeah, the guy got carried off on the stretcher. Then. I know. I saw the oh, hit. Oh, man. What, what are I you hit? doing? Who are you, Kirill Tulipoff? You know? Anyway. Oh, man. Just crazy. So, anyways, uh, back to uh, Max Wanner. He uh, he impressed me with this. I mean, I was seeing mostly the three-on-three games. And so that is uh, – and it was half ice. And three-on-three three is a little unstructured at the best of times and, and became more so as the uh, work. Like, they played seven 10-minute games. They had four little teams with uh, sort of one round of substitutions each, and they were going pretty hard and half-ice, but, you know, intense on the puck. And then gradually it started to wear wear down a bit. But uh, uh, Wanner impressed me. Uh, up front, uh, Matvey Petrov. Whew. Uh me like he. That's a player. He's got uh uh he's got swagger. We'll start with that. The goal scorer is swagger, you know. He's got the he expects to score. He's pissed off at himself when he doesn't. He celebrates hard when he does, and it doesn't matter if it's a little inter squad game or whatever. He wants to score. He likes to puck on his stick, he likes to dangle it, he's you know, he's a, he's a me clearly, even in three on three, I'm thinking I can see why he likes to play left wing, right hand shot, playing left wing because of his ability to drift into the middle and on the forehand fire, you know, from an improved shooting angle on his forehand near the middle of the ice, and his ability to sort of stick handling, you know, shift his shooting angle to get the puck by the D-man. Mind you, the D-man is is. Uh, 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 Joe Shilbotnik right, but he, he's, uh, uh, but, but one time he might be Bo Akey who's good at that, and, and you know, he's still, he's still looking good, whoever he's, uh, uh, he's lined up against. And sometimes you just see NHL translatable skills where no matter who the defenseman is, if the guy is capable of, you know, handling the puck in this way and snapping off a shot like that, and picking the top corner, he's going to find success. Uh, because no defenseman can get into where you know where he was operating from. So anyway, he showed uh, 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 he showed plenty and, and good passer too. He like he's more of a passer than a shooter. And he he said that he wanted to, uh, uh, and the Oilers asked him to become more of a passer this past season. So he went from 40 goals back down to 27. Uh, but his assists soared all the way up. He had 66 assists in 65 games, so his points total went up, even though his goals dropped, he became more of a playmaker. And there was a couple times there that he passed off, and I thought, geez, I wish he would have shot there. And I think he's, like, naturally a shooter, but he's also a, shoemaker, a shooter with playmaking skills. And... Six-round so, pick, you know, six-foot-two, right shot. There's he's bigger than Borgo. Like
0: there. He's mm-hmm. bigger than uh, – they were taken the same year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Borgo is um, about five months older. Uh, but they had very similar points per game in their final junior seasons, and mm-hmm. Petrov is bigger. And um, we'll see and how this plays speak. out. Good. And you also like Tyler Tulio?
1: Yes, I like Tyler Tulio. And I, I, the guys that I liked are guys that aren't going to make much of an impact on uh, rankings, like the one you wrote about. Yeah, because they're you know they're lower down. They ha- you know they haven't really made an impact uh, at any level yet. Not yet I think there's some good bets in there. Like I'm not going to say that all of Petrov and, and Wanner and Tulio are going to make the NHL. But yeah. well, I'd be surprised if none of them made the NHL, and they were all picked like way down in the in the, you know, 6th, 7th rounds. Uh, I guess, was it the 4th that they got two the other? Yeah, the end of the 4th. 126th overall. I mean, you don't expect a whole lot there. And yet, that guy, I, I've basically been impressed with him since I drafted him. And when I get to see him, it's, he's a gamer. And he is a, uh, which will make some people wince, uh, but he gets in there. And I heard uh, overheard one of the... Uh, uh, Euler Brain Trust dropped the name of Brendan Gallagher when uh, wow yeah. <laughs> that's high praise that's <laughs> high praise yeah like he, he, he it was such a mismatch dave and again he could have been uh uh he could have been playing against uh uh, uh Joe Shilobotnik again but there was one play where there was an extended there was they were playing half ice so there was one side boards where the you know the end of the ice was and the other side was the blue line where the spare players and coaches were hanging out. And the puck went to the end board side. So it was a full-on board battle of Tulio against a big, well-meaning defenseman, and Tulio just owned, the. it took him about five seconds to come away with it, but he owned control the entire time. Like the way he used his body to get between the guy and the puck, the way he held it in his skates and held it there until the right moment to kick it out to himself, it's like he's been there before and he knows exactly what he's doing along the boards and he was doing the same kind of things in the slot, and three-on-three, and three, you don't see a lot, but I saw you know a decent shot flat-out beat, uh, I don't think it was Ken Dryden in the net, so for, uh, uh, but it was, you know. it was
0: Dave Dryden.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he uh, he, he, he likes the down and dirty stuff, and he's a guy, like, it would not surprise me to see him carve out an NHL career as a, you know, a, a, a solid bottom sixer.
0: Good news. Like, it's, you know, and as you say, like we often go on like there's you're we're ex, excited by these players. Mm-hmm. And they don't make it in the NHL most of them. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, these guys have all Tulio started to make a mark in the HL last year. Mm-hmm. Petrov's been outstanding in the OHL and Wanner took a serious step up oh, yeah. in the WHL. So um this is good news for the oilers. And you're right, like this would not affect necessarily affect the ranking. Oh,
1: wouldn't show up there.
0: Well, and, I, like uh, Prodnin and Wheeler and these guys, like they are pretty thorough. Yeah. Like they do have us, they do have takes on all these players. Like they know, they know. But you know, there's only so much one person can do in terms of having knowledge of every player. Um, and you know, the focus is going to be on the ones drafted a bit higher, obviously. I think so. But um, uh, we, we, you know, huh. Bruce, we were after one of these dev camps. We were really high on Michael Kesselring. Mm -hmm. And, um, speaking, speaking in similar terms about Kesselring, well, Michael Kesselring played his first NHL games this year. Now we don't know if he's going to stick there in Arizona, but he's, Mm -hmm. he's in the running for an NHL job. This was another guy. I think he was a sixth round sixth or was he seventh too? And Mm he, he managed to work his way up. And, um, you know, in that, in, when we saw him, he looked like a really smart, competitive Mm -hmm. hockey player. With some skill and tremendous size, nice. and so you know we're seeing some s- some of the same qualities in some of these other players. Yeah. You did this
1: well. T- Tulio's has got skill. He's you know and he's got decent vision. Like I like some of his passing choices and, and uh, uh, just general work ethic. You know like he was there to he was there to play and win battles. You know what he reminded me of. Uh, we'll do our well not quite mandatory 1980 sports reference here of uh, a guy I saw play with the Medicine Hat Tigers in the in the middle 1980s. Uh, I went to a game in, uh, must have been Red Deer, and uh, uh, a guy named Rob DeMaio caught my eye. Oh, yeah. And he was just a, a worker bee, uh, and, you know, he got his points. Like, I'm mean, looking at him now, and he had uh, – uh, 70 points in 70 games in his draft year which is not like super fantastic scoring or anything but you could just see it's like he was everything on the team penalty killer and and grinder fighter i think you know just sort of did it all and uh, i thought you know that guy like i think there's he he might have a career there and he was a 6th round draft pick that year and he wound up playing I just called his page up. 894 NHL games. Oh, like, You never know where these guys are coming. And Brendan Gallagher that I mentioned earlier, thats I mean, he was a fifth rounder. I know how many games is he going to play? You know, he's several hundred already, and he'd have a lot more if he didn't keep getting hurt.
0: I thought you were going to compare him to Morris
1: Lukowicz. <laughs> I hated Morris Lukowicz.
0: I, I, he, you had to, he was a player that you had to admire. Uh, yeah. Well, I, you had he, to. He was... <laughs> Damn good. Mm-hmm. Uh he that was and that's a mandatory nineteen seventies sports reference. Now, wasn't he cool, Ed Luke
1: Ed Lukowich the curlers' brother? Is that
0: cousin? I don't know about that. So he played for Houston and Winnipeg in the WHA mm-hmm. and then he had a good career Winnipeg. in the NHL. Yep, for sure did. 43 goals one year <sighs> for the Winnipeg Jets in the NHL. Okay, Bruce, um moving on. Mm. You wrote a post about the Oilers um in the tippet. Kind of in the Holland era, having relatively crappy first half of seasons, and um, much much better second half of seasons, Ooh. culminating this past year when each quarter I, I think they just shot up dramatically in terms of their um, their success. Um, yeah, five hundred in the first quarter, five hundred points percentage, and then eight eighty one in the fourth quarter points percentage. That's pretty impressive in that fourth quarter.
1: 500, 595, 650, 881. Like measurable improvement for the first three quarters and then completely berserk after which the Ekholm trade happened after game 61, which is where I marked the fourth quarter starting. 2021, 2021 is, you know. The NHL doesn't make it easy with their prime number of home games for each team. Uh, anyway, uh, 881, <laughs> 18, two and one, with Eckholm in the lineup, and just insane on the on the goal differential. On the uh, you know they were uh, they were coming on gangbusters. And there was a reason people had high expectations entering the playoffs because, yeah. other than Boston, who'd done it all year long, Edmonton in the second half was as good as anybody uh, yeah. in the league, and they were continuing to get better. You know that's the team, the team improved uh, right at midseason when they called up Vincent DeHavenay. They improved again at the deadline when they acquired uh, both uh, Ekholm and Dukestad, and. Uh, moved out, uh to the RV and Tyson Berry and arguably upgraded at both forward and defense and also uh, through those ex- exchanges uh, created enough cap room to pay a 22nd forward and to be able to keep both Yanmark uh, Ek- uh, Ek- uh, and Ryan on the team, which they couldn't do at the beginning of the year. They didn't have enough cap space. So there was a little bit of cap sorcery pulled off there by Ken Holland in the uh, at the deadline that somehow squeezed all these pieces uh, just barely under the limit and uh, uh, it's possible to not admire the the the, uh, uh, the moves that Holland made or the guys that he chose to pick up to improve the team but I thought there were some some pretty uh, uh, some pretty uh, fine uh, motor control being exhibited over the available cap dollars there. There was some uh, some pretty strong work done in that department. And so he improved the team during the season is the uptake. And the same case can be made really for for other seasons. I mean, last, last year they brought in, well, first of all, they called up Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson halfway through the year. They signed Evander Kane partway through the year. And all of a sudden now they got a newer, stronger, better team. And it showed in the results. Every year, four out of four years, Holmes' teams have done way better in the second half than the first. And just forget about quarters, just halves. First year, 537 to 650. They were ranked 23rd in the NHL at the halfway point, and they wound up in 12th. in uh, 2021, this was the year with the least movement where they had the silo of four divisions where players weren't crossing the border easily and stuff. They went from 607 to 679 in the second half, and they raised their overall league rank from 14th to 11th. 2021s would cross first year. They went from 573, 16th in the league at halfway, to 695, a third best team in the league in the second half, 11th overall. And then this past year, 549, they were in 20th spot after 41 games, 20th spot. And then the last 41, they were second overall at 780, just behind Boston. One of sixth overall with a 665, basically two points out of every three points percentage. Like that's, I mean, every year, that's demonstrable big time improvement within the season. And after four years in a row, that, I'm not sure you can say it's an accident.
0: And the question is how they continue this in the playoffs. And my particular answer answer for that is they've got to become a much more solid defensive team. Mm -hmm. It's it's time. It's got to happen. And if it doesn't happen, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup. And it it can happen. I I think it could have happened this year um, with just a bit more commitment from uh, the players on defense and also a better defensive system which we've talked about in the past I think the goal for next year the order should be trying to shave 50 goals against in the regular season this would take them they gave up um, 3.1 goals per game that would take them to 2.5 goals per game and that's that's a lot that sounds like a lot but when they've been playing their best hockey Bruce in these stretches when they've played their best hockey um, they've allowed about um, 2.8 goals per game so this is in Tippett's uh, in the all Canadian and the COVID season in the all Canadian year, it was 2.8 per game. And when Woodcroft took over the Oilers last year from Tippett, it was 2.8 the rest of the way. I didn't work out what it was in the last half of this year, but they, so essentially they have to take their best defensive hockey that, that they've played during these hot streaks that have been long and lengthy and they've got to do a bit better. Bruce, that is, that is achievable. They can do this. Mm -hmm. They have the players to do this, they've got to come up with a checking line who they can play, and we've talked about this already. A checking line who they can play against top competition uh, at the end of periods, after penalties, when they really need to hold the lead, they need to have a line they can send out, th- send out there. And they've got the players between Ryan and Yanmark and McLeod and Fogel. They have four players, I believe, who all have the defensive smarts, attitude. Um, now McLeod's gonna, I think, is actually the weakest link, and he's got to step up the most. And the most is asked of the center mm-hmm, on a check yeah. line. So, he, but but they've they've got the players. They've got to get a better defensive system. They can't ask the centers to be the main defenders 20, 30 percent of the time in front of the goalie. They've got to have a system mm-hmm. that keeps their defensemen in the zone. At least one defenseman one NHL defenseman at all times in front of the net no matter what that's the rule and you never break it and that's what Vegas did and it really really worked against the Edmonton Oilers so and then the goaltending has to improve a bit and I think it can I think Jack Campbell will be better <coughs> this year I'll be surprised and I think Stuart Skinner's going to be better I think they're both going to be better so I think they can shave 50 goals and that I think that should be that's that should be job one mission that's mission one if they do that if they allow 2.5 goals per game this team's going to win a lot of games and they're going to win in the playoffs
1: yeah i mean they've come close i mean they've been beaten by the Stanley cup champions the last two years and some would say they took a step back this year by only going two rounds instead of three but uh when the number two seed in the meet when the west meets the number one seed in one playoff round while the three and four are playing on the other side and you know i have questions but uh they uh they did play the number one seed and they couldn't beat him they came close but they couldn't beat him uh there's any number of factors but one one factor is i think vegas did have a better system than edmonton and i think that was a big factor uh they got, Vegas got some bounces, Edmonton didn't get some bounces, you know, it's you'd true. say there's calls, the way those suspensions got handled was pretty sus, as the kids would say, and it's, um, uh, you know, they were close, they were close, they didn't get it done, and this was, you know, this was a strong team, and, you know, they were, really fly, they were flying coming into the playoffs, which I guess makes the result that much more disappointing, uh, but... Uh, uh, Overall, you know, I mean, they're building. They had a better better year last year than they had the year before. Uh, during, the, during the season overall, I would say they did. And they, they uh, uh, you know, their depth players played way better. Their top guys continued to fill the net. Uh, you know, they, would lead the NHL in goals. they well, was led the NHL in goals. David. They yep. always led the NHL in goals. They led by 24 goals over the second-place team. And that was the first Oilers team to do that since 1986-87, when uh, they, uh, last, uh, uh, they last were uh, first overall in the NHL in goals. And, and so that's huge progress. And you can talk about their defensive play. Yes, they need to upgrade that as well. But we also need to remember this team is so offensively talented that they can outscore some mistakes. They just need to make less mistakes.
0: They got to get Bruce to a point where, you know, you listed a lot of off, like there was there was bad puck luck shooting. I oh. talked about that. I've written a post about it. There was um, bad calls by the ref. What you need to do is put those out of the off the, take those off the table, and you take those off the table by raising your level of dominance. It's only yeah. one way to do it, and there's only one way for the they're not going to score more. They're not going to be a better offensive team than they are now. Um, in fact, other teams are going to, I think, beg, borrow, and steal from Vegas, and the Orders are going to face non-stop this zone zone play, non-stop next year. They're just going to—it's going to be a thicket of players in front of the net, stopping Connor McDavid from getting the best scoring chances, and um, they're, they're all going to borrow from that. What happened there? Because everyone saw that, and it worked. Vegas at even strength had the same number of Grade A shots as the Orders but they had significantly more of the best scoring chances at even strength against the Edmonton Warriors without a better lineup. And they did that through systems play. And um, so it's gonna be tough to keep scoring. So they've got the, you know, the thing they can do though, steal from Vegas as well. And um, I'm actually really keen to see them do that. I think it actually might be the plan. And uh, I think it will really work because I see players like Eckholm and uh, CeCe, Broberg, Nurse, Deharney, all of these guys. These are big guys. And you keep them in, their, in the office, in their home, in front mm-hmm. of the net, good things will happen defensively. And the goalies will look better. And Leon Dreisaitl and, and Bugstad won't look so bad because they're not going to be asked to be constantly tracking back to the net when their minds are on scoring goals. They're going to be asked to help out cover in front of the net but not be the main guy so I, i'm quite bullish on woodcroft as a coach which mm-hmm. segues into our next uh segment um so alan mitchell of the athletic was writing about this and he wrote a post uh this week and he and the, the he wrote in the post the quote the devastating series lost to the vegas golden knights has edmonton's young coach under fire from the fans mm-hmm. some of the criticism is der- deserved some is mm-hmm. luck well, some of the air comes down to decisions made by the coach that didn't work out. I, I think that was a, he He's bringing up interesting point. And mm-hmm. it's clear that some fans, including this fan, are making fairly strong critiques of Woodcroft. Well, let's say insistent critiques. Well, la- I'll leave the strength of the critique to other people to judge. But insistent critiques about Woodcroft right now are coming up. And it's not, and people are raising, like my, that's, I have this focus on systems play, but other people are bringing up mainly the Mm -hmm. Skinner-Campbell decision, which really stuck in people's craw. Um, The decision to stick with Stu Skinner and not go with Jack Campbell. So there's, there is a lot of criticism, Bruce, but I just wanted, Mm -hmm. when I first, when I read that, I wanted to try to quantify, um, because I wasn't sure how widespread the critique was or how heartfelt it was. So I did a Mm -hmm. cult hockey poll. And the results are these. 2,148 people voted. And I asked them, what grade would you give Jay Woodcroft for his coaching since taking over the Oilers? And 35.5% gave him an A. 58.1% gave him a B. Mm -hmm. So we have like 93.6% of Oilers fans. Giving him an A or a B passing grade, yeah. Well, not just a pat, like yeah. yeah a or B is coach, a passing grade. Well, that's yeah. that's right. That's fair enough. That's a pr- those are good grades, but for an NHL coach, that that's you got to get a B or an A, or you're going to get fired. So it's not th- there is criticism, uh, but I'm going to suggest it's mainly from the only 1.7 percent gave him a D or an F.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, it's a small number, and I didn't. I gave him a B. Oh.
1: That'll be lunacy, frankly. Yeah, I think so too. You know, the I orders gave won, Go ahead. The orders won 29, 5, and 6 in their last 40 games this year. Exactly. You know. Exactly. <laughs> he didn't
0: suddenly forget how to coach. I, I think he he had a tough series to the extent yes. I think if you I trade think. coaches, you have a different result. That's my Maybe. opinion. That's that sounds like a harsh criticism. And I, I don't think it is on a close series because I I it's the goal, the series comes down to three or four goals. And I think capacity's mm-hmm. defensive system, compared to Woodcroft's, makes up for that. But Woodcroft's—he's he, a teacher, he's a learner. That's why he's yeah, an NHL 100%. coach. A
1: lifelong learner. He, he touts himself and he's proud of it, and that's—he's uh, that's going to learn. And he's—that's something and that, he's record- that, that everybody should aspire to, frankly. Indeed. But he—he's—he's uh, he's big on it, and you can—you can see it, you can tell, you know his—his. His, uh, and he will get better, and uh, he, he did a lot of things right this year. He did a lot of things right last year, and, and he's got, you know, a lot going on for him as a coach. Like, he's the best choice for Edmonton Oilers right now. And, and the idea of bringing in another old retread, you know, uh, Joel Quenville or Mike Babcock or something. I mean, sure, they're accomplished coaches, But and I'm not saying they would even come here, but uh, – uh, I think the Oilers have finally found like the recipe. They're going to grow the coach with the team, I, and I think they're so. growing organically, and it's working. So don't Excellent mess it comment.
0: up. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So I think that um, there's the 1.7 percent who thinks who gave them a DRF. When you're on social media, that group of people, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, you know. It's, it, 30, 40, 50, 60 people on Twitter can make a lot of noise yeah. if they're committed tweeters and commenters on stories. So so mm-hmm. I think there I think it's we might have the appearance, like the feeling if you're on social media, there's a lot of criticism. And there is, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot most much of it does come from people who gave him B or A, l- at least mm-hmm. the people who gave him a B. And I think if he had if he had won the Vegas series, even if they had lost maybe the next round, like he would have the numbers would have been reversed. He would have had A from 58% and B from 35%. I think that lot, that series, many people mentioned this, that his mark dropped mm-hmm. from an A to a B yes, based on the biggest series. series. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how it was with me. Understood. But he's still, uh, he still, he's had outstanding results since taking over the orders. Mm-hmm. He's got the second. Since he took over the orders, Bruce, the orders of the second highest uh, points percentage in the NHL, yep. um, which is 683. Uh,
1: yeah, that yeah. Yeah, wow
0: yeah. That's that's really good
1: They were 26-9 nine and, nine and 3 Under him last year And then this year they were 6-65 So they've had two great Second halves and one so-so First half with Woodcraft So I like what
0: you say about the coach Growing organically with the team And it is a le- it's All these people are going through a learning experience mm-hmm. And uh, they're figuring it out And you see Jay Woodcroft figure things out as you you watch his coaching moves. Mm -hmm. Um, He's he's picking up on stuff all the time, and uh, I I think he's going to be getting it right.
1: His situation reminds me so much of John Cooper in uh, Tampa, Uh, you know, 10 years ago. When, yeah. uh, when he first got, he got called up from their farm team and they had a few guys that came up just before him or just after him, just like Woodcroft did, you know, some of his uh, minor league uh, uh, players beat him to the NHL and some others came up just after he did and a couple I think were even on the same flight as him and Manson. I think Broberg and uh, Neman Line were both on that flight uh, when he came up and So, I mean, players like that, that he taught in the the minor leagues, and then, of course, in his case, which even Cooper didn't have this prior experience with the main players when they were young, you know, 18, 20, 23 years old, guys like, you know, uh, McDavid, Drysaddle, Nurse, uh, Nude, you know, really the the young core of the the team that's now the leadership core of the team eight years later, but... uh, uh, Woodcroft was involved in teaching and, and shaping their games from an early day as well so his his uh, uh, his intersection with the organization shapes up to me almost perfect in terms of what he's done who he's t- <clears throat> coached at what times and now you know it's come together in the big club and I thought there was a real chance it was going to gel and so far mostly it has. Cooper took his
0: team to the Stanley Cup Finals. In his third season third as an NHL coach, and I think it's his eighth season as an NHL coach.
1: Um,
0: the Kucherov in his first, that first season was just twenty-one when they made the final so he was just it took it. it essentially, the development of uh, Kucherov and Hedman as dominant players mm-hmm. um, tracked their eventual rise to Stanley Cup champions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, Bruce, one of the players, the others are going to be. Needing to play well, if they're going to win a Stanley Cup in the next year or two, is Stuart Skinner. And an interesting thing about Skinner is um, if Team Canada was in a best-on-best tournament right now, Stu Skinner would be in the running to be the starting goalie. And um, I did a kind of a back-of-the-envelope survey of just looking at basic things like games played, save percentage, goals against average. And then I compared goals against to expected goals against for a plus minus. And I ranked each of those things for NHL goalies. And Stuart Skinner finished 13th in that ranking for NHL goalies. He was um, 15th for games played, 16th for save percentage in the regular season, 21st for goals against average, and 12th for goals against to expected goals Against differential as recorded nice. by natural stat trick. Um, the goalies who beat him were Ilya Sorokin, Connor Hellebuck, Linus Olmark, Jake Ottinger, Yussi Saras, Igor Shusterkin. Those are the top six. The, the next are Philip Gustafsson, Alex Gorgiev, Andrey Vasilevsky, Ilya Samsonov, Jerry, Jeremy Swayman,
1: and Vitek Vanacek. Not Bruce, a Canadian Russia, in the group,
0: right? Not a Canadian in the group. Russia is stacked.
1: <laughs> Are they ever? Sixth, Holy crap. Is there six of them?
0: Completely Bobrovsky, right? Like, he got <laughs> They're right. stacked. <laughs> All in he Canada. did was
1: dominate the playoffs. Yeah, in Canada. Like, oh. so the,
0: the Canadians after Skinner, Darcy Kemper's in 14th place. Mm-hmm. Carter Hart, 16th. Logan Thompson, mm-hmm. 17th. Marc-Andre Fleury, 19th. And Aiden Hill, 20th. Right. Tristan Jari, 23rd. I think if there was a team Canada right now, Aiden Hill and Darcy Kemper would be on the team yeah. based on their Stanley Cup wins. And then it would be a choice who do you want to go with as your third goalie, Skinner or Marc-André Fleury, I mm-hmm. think. Now, you might have Carter Hart in, as a dark horse cuz you know he's been the, you know, the goalie of promise, but Bruce this ain't the era of Carey Price or Rogie Vashon or Martin Berger, or Patrick Waugh, or Grant Fear, we do not have a dominant Canadian goalie right now.
1: Yeah, well, I don't have goal saves above expected. I'm on a NHL page, but the other ones, Skinner's fourth in games played. Uh, he is for third. Canadian goalies now? Yeah. Is this just for Canadian goalies? Okay. For Canadian goalies. Yeah. And he's third in goals against average. And third, and save percentage like nine fifteen, nine fifteen, nine fourteen—a virtual yeah. tie there. And uh, frankly, it's not that impressive of a list, David. No, it isn't. Canadian please. goalies. There's Do only make- sixteen of them that played twenty-five games last year, so that's your standard backup place. About that, and that's where I set my filter. But I mean, there's only a quarter of the goalies in the league. Then even. Are Canadian almost based on that? What do you
0: think's going on? I guess I have no like I don't know why we're not developing the very top goalies anymore. Um, but I think you know there's some promising goalies on this list: Kemper and and Hart, Logan Thompson, seventeenth. And I don't know much about him honestly. But Aiden Hill played some pretty solid hockey. I think it would be Aiden Hill would be the starter because he won the cup, and um, he did okay. So, um, she didn't
1: very okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think (laughs) Aiden Hill would have to start, but he came from nowhere.
1: Yeah. No, that's
0: right. Maybe he'll be come from nowhere and be team Canada's goalie, Mm -hmm. you know, the next time this comes around. But, um, it's, it's, it's the one position where Canada's really fallen off. Mm -hmm. So, um,
1: I'm going to, I'm I'm going to play what if with you, David. What if last summer when the Oilers were needing another goalie because they just heard Mike Smith was hurt, and they said, well, we've got this young guy, Skinner, we think he's going to be good, but he's not going to be able to carry the load. Let's go and find a goalie on the market who's got a year left in his contract. And let's trade it. Oh, I know, let's trade a fourth-round pick for this guy, Aiden Hill, who's got a year to run on his contract. Brim him in, and he and Skinner. Can you just imagine, like, what an enormous difference for both the present and the future. Well, <laughs> now you're sounding like
0: the 1.7 percent,
1: Bruce. <laughs> just no, just little. this is one, one move, David. <laughs> one, one move, one move. Like it's the all it takes to true. throw the thing right off the rails or oh, or, yeah. or, or win it and won it for won it for Vegas that the they old went old. out and traded a fourth round pick for a number, you know, their organizational number four goalie. I think Hill was. You know, he was behind uh, Logan Thompson and Laurent François, and he was behind Robin Lehner on the, you know, on the bigger scheme of things until Lehner went out. And all he did, oh. the number four, was win the Stanley Cup.
0: Yeah, and I might be the old saying, uh, <laughs> Gene, Gene made a machine. Joe, Joe made it go. Art, yeah. art, let a fart. Uh-huh. A thing. <laughs> <laughs> One bad move and boom. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough, but you know that's no one knew, including the Vegas Golden Knights, who of had Hill uh, yeah. in.
1: Um, His name he was out
0: there, but that's all I'll say. His name. <laughs> was out there. So last year for the San Jose Sharks, he had a 906 goal uh, save percentage. He played in uh, 25 games and he had a 266 goals against. Sheesh, with the Sharks, that's pretty good. That's not bad with the Sharks, actually, and <laughs> goals against uh, the save percentages. Excuse me, were low. Well, actually, they were lower this year. This year he was at 9.15. I mean, he really he really was solid this year when he did get a chance. But, you know, Laurent Bressois-Bruce was in net mm-hmm. um, for the playoffs ahead of Aiden Hill. Yes. That's what they thought of him. And um, Jonathan Quick came and played a lot of games. And they, if he had shown any gas, if he had any gas in the tank, Jonathan Quick would have been in net. So I'm just saying it's that's a nice thought, and I wish that had happened too at this point, but it didn't. And uh, hopefully Jack... Cameron I had
1: the thought, <laughs> not specific to Aiden <laughs> Hill, but just specific to go out and rent a goalie, bring in a decent, solid guy that's already under contract for one to two years, rather than go out on the market and... I mean, where's Stuart Skinner going to go if you bring in a big number one? Like, it, to me, it kind of was... Anyway, it's, uh, it's all hindsight 2020. No. Yeah, we'll go... If- Goaries. Actually, it's hindsight twenty twenty two, but it's still last year. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, Bruce, we listen. I was going to talk about the core twelve, but we've already been talking for an hour. Let's just let's just save that for the next podcast because I'm going to be writing mm-hmm. a couple posts about it. And, okay. And uh, we have the Prospect series coming up,
1: mm-hmm, probably accept.
0: starting towards the end of next week. I'm guessing. Um.
1: Maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Usually we, we do most of it in August, but we'll. we'll uh, yeah, maybe it it'll be a later. I want to figure out if we have got enough prospects to write about, David. Maybe we we'll only write about the top ten this year because all the rest of them are bums, according to all these scouting services.
0: We don't <laughs> have a lot of top prospects. It's true. Like the,
1: the mm-hmm. um,
0: there's not even a lot of guys under contract, are there? <sighs> not not yet. yet. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Let me just go. I'll go to um, so is Marcus Neemalin still a prospect? I guess we'll have to we'll have to debate that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of prospects who played in the HL last AHL last year, there's Carl Berglund, who was 23 and was a is a college center. Bargo, Carter Savoy. Now there's Jaden Grub uh, who's joined them. There's Tyler Tulio, James Hamblin, Matt v. Petrov. Uh, Raphael Lavois, Noah Phillip, who's now retired.
1: Mm-hmm. There's
0: uh, Nolan Hoffenmeyer, Max uh, Wanner, Phil Kemp, Cam Danine, and Benjamin Gleason.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ryan Fanti, Olivier Rodriguez. So there's there's enough there's yeah. something to write about, and then there's
1: oh yeah, no, we'll have ones to write about. I'm just not sure how many real um, strong prospects that we'll write in individual posts about each one. Well, we
0: but usually do about 20 of those, we, don't
1: we? do done, yeah, in the past we've done either 20 or 25. And it's, it's I think last year we did 20 because there only was 20 that were really, I think we'll be really doing about
0: 20 this year yeah, as well. Great. Yeah, great. So, already. Well, Bruce, uh, thanks for talking. It was a good. Yeah,
1: time. yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Take travels tomorrow, David.
0: Thanks, Bruce. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast.